A uh, couple things uh, as we get going here. We're, we're, we're really, if, if you're noticing the time, we're, we're getting on this pretty quickly here. So uh, uh, there should be some time for some questions and uh, answers. And um, uh, otherwise, we get out really early tonight. So uh, uh, I, just a couple other things. We are going to have a, a business meeting. There, there's, there are not any major business items, we are going to bring, uh, I think, 10 or 11 people in as new members tonight uh, by way of a vote, but we'll just do the financials. It should be very, very short fo- uh, immediately following our service uh, tonight. So we, we wanted to uh, deal, do a uh, conversation on worship, and you can see our theme, and you're looking at the, um, the actual, uh, uh, our core value, God alone rules my world. So I will point to him in everything I do. So uh, that's, that's one, that's a thought towards worship. Worship has been defined in thousands of ways. I'm not exaggerating, in thousands of ways. Um, but I, I, it's hard to improve on what Jesus said in John chapter 4 uh, in his conversation around, uh, you know, following his, his uh, talk with the woman at the well He says, uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And then this, he says, uh, the hour is coming and now is where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, that gives you a sense of what God is looking for in worship. There's, there's spirit and there's truth. I think the spirit there is the attitude. I think that's the heart issue here. And uh, uh, there, Bob Coughlin has a little book called Worship Matters. Anybody here read that book? Uh, I know you have. It's one of your favorites. <laughs> of course you have. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he focuses on too many of us. Are really, the problem with our worship is we, we, we worship ourselves too much. That's the problem. And uh, he has a really neat illustration. I was going to pull it up, but basically he has a son named Jordan. And, and he says, you remember that illustration? He says if somebody comes to him and says, uh, hey, I really appreciate your son Jordan. And he says, really? Cool. What do you like about him? He says, well, you know, I mean, describe him to me. And he says, well, you know, he's, he's, five, he's five foot seven and he likes, uh, he, he, he loves to cook Italian food and all this. And Bob Coughlin says, I would look at him and say, no, my son Jordan is six foot two and he doesn't cook Italian food. He eats Italian food and all of this. And his whole point was, you think you know my son, but your theology of my son is bad. And, uh, and really, um, I think worship is, uh, is inextricably tied to our knowledge of God. It really is. Because if you if you're, remember, you know, when uh, Jeremiah says, you know, let the wise man, you know, glory, not, let not the wise man glory his wisdom and all of these things, but let him who glories or boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the true God. Uh, I was at a ceremony, I won't tell you what kind of a ceremony it was, uh, many months ago now, it was within the year, I think, and uh, it was tabbed as a great, it would be a great worship experience, and uh, and the fact of the matter is, not only was it not a worship experience, it was a shell of a worship experience. And there was nothing inside. I mean, there was nothing inside. There was no gospel. There was lots of mentions of God and lots of illustrations and analogies. But it was completely devoid of truth. And, and strikingly sad because uh, I, we were invited by somebody who truly does know the Lord. Um, so... Um, I was just a couple of things I was just going to share as we get into it, and then we'll. I'm going to turn it over to Paul, and then we'll. And by the way, uh, uh, we're going to leave time for texting. So there's your there's the text. Uh, if you have questions, you can you can text those questions right now. They'll tabulate them, and and uh, maybe we'll get to them. Maybe we won't. But if you remember in my message this morning, I I said that uh, debating that whole issue between the, the sacrifice of Cain and Abel, and I said that Cain's problem was not his sacrifice, it was his heart. That was the problem. Uh, it wasn't that he didn't bring a blood sacrifice. And I, I think in a similar way, you could look at that with music. And I, don't, I think our church has in its rearview mirror, thankfully, 
uh, the whole business of style and music and all that kind of stuff. But if you were around back in the early 2000s, that was a big, big deal, you know. And uh, one of the most intriguing passages to me is, in, is I, just want to just, I just want to show you this for kicks and giggles, in 1 Samuel 10, uh, if you want to head over there real quickly, in 1 Samuel 10, and then Isaiah 5. In 1 Samuel 10, you have, uh, uh, I just want to read this passage to you real quick, uh, verse 5. Uh, says this. It says, After that you shall come to uh, Gilbeth uh, Eliam, where, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tan, uh, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, and prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy, and you'll be turned into another man. This is God's message to Saul. But I just I want to note those instruments because later on in Isaiah, God chastises the people of, uh, of Israel when he says, um, Woe, verse 11, to you who rise early in the morning, that you may run after strong drink and tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and, and harp, tambourine and flute, and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord to see the work of his hands. And I... I those are just two different passages, two different contexts, same instruments. And it's the same thing. Worship, when it comes to music, is not a matter of instruments or style or genre or anything. Like that. It's all about purpose. And, of course, there has to be some level of comprehension or understanding because the Scripture says uh, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, I will sing with understanding. Uh, I will pray with understanding. And of course, we are talking generally about worship, but having Paul up here, we're gonna, we kind of make that beeline to the, to the music element uh, as well. So let me just turn it over to you, Paul, for some introductory comments too. Yeah, I, um, I think one of the things that we, we talked about when we were talking about um, the, the introducing this tonight and talking about tonight is just the, the uh, compartmentalization of worship and that, that fallacy of, you know, we're going to have... Uh, preaching and then we're going to have some worship you know there's going to be I've seen this on uh, countless conference advertisements and things like that where it says you know great biblical preaching and you know something like soul stirring worship Mm. you know making uh, alluding to the fact that you know the the music is the worship part Mm. and then the preaching is kind of something else and I think that it kind of bleeds into everything um, the, the body of Christ in general where we think that you know, it's it's worship over here, but over here when I'm, you know, doing the dishes for my wife is not worship. Time out, because over there they're not hearing you. you you're muted, so you might want to check the thing there. Sorry. You have to start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's better. You want to hear him say it again? Yeah, say it again, Paul. You'll be, it'll be better the second time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just talking about the uh, the way that we compartmentalize worship. When you think about worship, yeah, where Cain, where Cain says, uh, uh, where the Bible says Cain brought an offering to the Lord, it was definitely an act of religion, but it wasn't an act of worship, not to God anyway. So, um, I, in t- back as I back in 2004, I preached a short series titled "Approaching God in Song," and uh, and those were back in the cassette tape days, and uh, they were flying on. That was they were just everybody was grabbing a hold of that thing because it was such a controversial thing. And I really I just dove just headlong into this and read just everything I could get my hands on, and I even came up with my own definition. This is what it is. I wrote: Worshiping God is when the conscious awareness of his presence is met by a desire and will to please him. That's my definition. That's one of a thousand. But I'll say it again. Worshiping God is when the conscious awareness of his presence is met by a desire and will to please him. And to me, that, that's my capsulization of worship. Uh, uh, some of you have heard me say that... Uh, uh, you know, Spurgeon used to say he never went 10 minutes in a waking day without being aware of God. And I think that helps because that keeps the worship alive, the sense of his awareness 
if we don't have any sense of his awareness, we're not really very good worshipers. I mean, we just aren't. I mean, we're human. I mean, we're going to have stuff that distracts us. I get that for sure. Um, but I think if we're worshipers, we're going to have that conscious awareness as much as we can. And I think, it, it, again, it really stems from having a, 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 a robust time with God every day in your time in, your time in his word. And uh, because that, that's, that begins to bubble over into the rest of your day. You still have do your thing, you work. You're, if you're a doctor, you do doctor stuff. If you're a lawyer, you do lawyer stuff. If you're running a press in a, in a factory, you run the press. And you don't, you, I mean, you're probably not thinking about the uh, theology when you're running a piece of steel into it. I mean, probably better have your mind on that, you know. But, uh, but you're still doing it as under the Lord. I think these are genuine acts of worship. So Yeah, I think that. An th- important thing to remember, too, is that every, everybody worships. You know, you, all you have to do is go to an Iowa State game, and, and you'll know that. You know. It's, it's <laughs> not really. Maybe, maybe another team. We're not, <laughs> we're not very good worshipers right now. <laughs> no, I, I, I went to an Iowa State game with uh, Corey Pearson when I first got here and, and you know, walked in, and, and you, get, you get people with their uh, faces painted and you know, their, their gear on and everything and going crazy and, and screaming and, and hollering for their team, which I guess... They beat Baylor. They were good at the time. Yeah. But, you talking basketball. Uh, okay. That was football. That was oh, football. football. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get off of it. But, uh, but, but everybody worships. I think it's just we have to understand that, that we will worship. It's just a matter on where we aim our worship, you know, yeah. and having our heart right before the Lord and yep. aiming, it, aiming it towards him. So. Yep. No question about it. Uh, I alluded to personal worship times uh, uh, Paul, why don't you, uh, one, of the, one of the questions that have come in is, that we've got here is talk to us about each of, uh, uh, talk to us about your personal worship with the Lord. Give us some hi- idea of uh, how you have this constant awareness. I mean, when you read your Bible, do you have a guitar in your hand and sing oh, the always, whole time? Absolutely. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, no, my, my personal worship in the morning is uh, it's my Bible and a bowl of oatmeal. Um, I, I sit, I, as much as possible, I sit in the sunlight and get my bowl of oatmeal and open God's word. And I've been reading through the New Testament and, uh, and first John right now, actually, but, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll sing, you know, I'll, I'll do that sometimes and, um, and just sing by myself or a lot of times I'll just play the guitar and, and even hum and just kind of meditate on God's word. Um, one of the things that's helped me, I think is, um, what you, something you taught me a while ago was to, to stare at the scripture and to, and to find a verse and just meditate on that one piece of scripture and, and stare at it. Um, I think as far as the, the conscious awareness of God, um, just starting your day that way, I think of just developing an attitude for me, it's just been developing an attitude of, of consideration. And what, what I mean by that is, um, if you go to, um, uh, Psalm, Psalm chapter eight, he says, when I consider the work of your hands, um, basically says, when I consider your creation, and he asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you would, you would visit him? Um, when I consider what God has done, when I consider everything, that, what, what Christ has done, when I consider creation, when I take time to be quiet, and that really for me involves the best times are when I get up before the kids start getting up and throwing cereal everywhere. Um, <laughs> Just being quiet before the Lord and, and just really asking, what do you want to teach me today? And just being quiet, reading scripture. I'm not one of those guys that can read a huge chunk of scripture and understand every little bit. You know, I have to kind of take it more in bite-sized chunks with some, some of you are like that as well. But um, taking time to, to, to take, God, what do you want to teach me? Excuse me, teach me. And then responding to him, sometimes in song. I, I do that a lot here at church, so it's not, that's not a... Uh, pretty common for me actually at home um but uh yeah i that's that's kind of my thing every morning that i do yeah <clears throat> when you uh read your bible i think with personal worship um uh, there's some of you are just given toward going for a topic looking up the topic and and finding the topic and reading the topic and that then you become kind of topical in your reading um and i would just strongly urge you to not do that on a regular basis. I think that's okay to do from time to time. I mean, that's okay. Sometimes you just feel very compelled to dive into worry or dive into anger, dive into worship, whatever. But um, to have a, 
you know, the, some kind of a systematic reading through the Bible, however you choose to do it, and then to approach the Word of God in such a way that uh, you're under the Word. The word you're not over the Word. I think when you approach the Bible uh, with a preconceived thought of the way you're going to approach it, then you're over the Word. I think we should be under the Word, which means I approach the Bible, picking. I, I go to the chapter I, you know, that's in front of the chapter I read the day before. And so I don't know what I'm going to... I might be familiar with the chapter already, but, but I, I want to hear from God. I'm, and I don't ever want to connect it to my preaching, ever. Uh, I, I will go there on Sunday mornings, but I, don't even, I still read my psalm on Sunday mornings and whatnot before I get into, you know, just you know, like a dog on a bone on the text I'll be preaching with in the hour. Otherwise, I t- to me, a lot of my preaching and a lot of my life just comes out of the stuff I'm you know, that I'm meditating on for the hour I sit before the Lord in the morning. One of the things I think is important, too, is um, uh, maybe you have the, the, uh, the book, um, the uh, Gospel Primer. You know, has that book, Gospel Primer? Um, I've given it to the folks in my cell group, and it's one of the things that I use in my personal worship time. And there's a section in that that's the, it's the, the prose section. It's the gospel in prose form. And I think it's really important, whether you use that or, or just go straight to Scripture, whatever you do, um, I think it's really important in your personal worship time to take some time to just reflect on the heart of the gospel. Um, I, I think that, that Romans chapter 12 is a really big passage on worship because it says it has that, that line, in view of the mercies of God. In view of the mercies of God, then we lay our lives on the altar. Um, we have to start with the mercies of God. That's what we've been talking about um, as a band in the last couple of weeks before we come up here to do worship is... As we worship, as we sing, are we singing with the mercies of God in view? How has God had mercy on me? Because that should inform, that's like the, the, the flame that starts the fire um, of worship, I think. And so that's one of the things I try to do too, is just go over the gospel every morning. The gospel is not just for people that, that don't believe and need the gospel. The gospel is for you um, every morning just to reflect on it and, and think about anew one more time, what has Christ done for me and, and who, where, what's my standing in Christ? That's a big thing for me. Yeah, that's good. One of the questions that came in from a, pra- or for, that is from a practical standpoint, how can busy people spend time worshiping throughout the day? Um, I think just from a simple perspective, <clears throat> when you eat, do you pray? Sounds like a silly question, doesn't it? But, but uh, I've, I've watched... Plenty of Christians just dive in. And, uh, I mean, to me, you're stopping. You're stopping to thank God when you, when you eat. I mean, there's reasons that we eat three times a day. That's three times to stop and pray and thank God, and not just for the food, but for the moment and the day and whatever's going on around it. And there's a lot of practical stuff you can do to be mindful of the Lord. And one of the things, just, you know, just uh, when you're by yourself, to talk to him and, uh, inter- you know, just pray uh, those, you know, those arrow prayers, <clears throat> you know, like uh, Nehemiah did, you know, at times when you're in situations, and those are great reminders. Uh, what, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the things that's, that's been big for me is, uh, as far as just, I know we're all busy, you know, we all have things going on, and it's a, it's a busy, crazy world, but one of the things for me has just been the, the uh, limitation of technology uh, for me. You know, uh, one of the things I wrote down about this question was put down your phone. That's one of the things that I, I need to do more and more and have done more and more um, because there's so many distractions right now in our world. And uh, you can really make the technology and, and entertainment things an, an enemy um, if you let it. So, but um, I tend to look at that question. I, I don't want to sound cheesy with it at all, but I, I tend to look at that question of how can, how can busy people worship throughout the day? I, I tend to t- kind of turn it up on its head a little bit and say, how can, how can worshiping people be busy with, with that throughout the day? In other words, how, how can we inject worship into everything we do? And we start with, I'm a worshiper. I'm going, I'm going to be worshiping um, in everything I do. How can I, how can I aim that? How can I uh, you know, put God in the crosshairs of my worship, so to speak, in everything I do? So um, sometimes the answer to that question is, you're too doggone busy, <laughs> you know? Um, and what, what, uh, what is standing in the way of your personal worship with the Lord and, and to eliminate some of those things. Well, stay on point here with you. Uh, so here's another question uh, uh, from Malachi. Uh, the question is, worship 
in the heart. Uh, worship is in the heart, but are there outward are outward behaviors are you know that is that which is demonstrative? Is that important? That's the question. Is it is it important that we show some expression in our worship? How would you respond to that? Yeah, I, um, I mean people are different, of course. I mean you have people that. <laughs> They don't, they don't do the, the raising of the hands or anything like that as they sing or anything like that, but um, it's, it is important in Scripture. I mean, there is, there's lots of postures of worship in Scripture, too, people falling to their faces, and uh, we're, you're told to, we're told to, to raise our hands in worship, you know? Um, so there, sometimes that's an, uh, an obedience issue where sometimes we just don't want to do it. If you're like me, I'm, I'm self-conscious, you know, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser, so I don't want to, you know... Uh, what would this person think of me if I all of a sudden go all Pentecostal on them and throw my hands up in the air, you know, wave them around like I just don't care, you know? I, um, I think when we approach that from not what you're thinking about me, but, but how, how am I responding to Scripture? Um, there, is, there is something, whether we want to admit it or not, I think, it's, I think there's something to the, the postures of worship that we take um, of, you know, what, what, is, what does raising your hands in the air signify? I'm surrendered. Um, God, I have nothing and I need you. That's what it says to me, you know. But lots of times we can get caught up in that. What, what are people going to think of me? Is this, is this a charismatic thing to do? Am I being unbiblical about this, you know? Um, I think we need to take a look at Scripture and, and, and assign some importance to those things because I think just stoicism is not, not biblical either. If we just sit there, if, I, I think it's a big problem if you can go to an ISU game and scream your head off and come to church and sit there stoically. I think that's a big problem. That's a hard, hard issue. Boom. Okay. That's good. That's good. I'm a Browns fan, so I don't, I'm a Browns fan, so I don't have that problem, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Browns fans are, are all uh, reformed people. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> no expression whatsoever. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, so how do we choose uh, songs on Sunday mornings? Uh, also, what heart preparation does a team do before leading music? I'll let you answer that, but first let me kind of jump in there because there's a, this is where we are kind of in sync. Uh, I, I, uh, I do sermon preparation many months in advance, so the, the, the text, the title, and, uh, and the theme has been given to Paul usually several months before he, he has it. Not always. Um, we might make a, a switch or whatever from time to time, but normally there are lots of time between. So he has time for preparation. And, uh, but it's, there is some flexibility. Why don't you address it from there? Uh, yeah, it's the question just how do we choose, choose music and things for the church. Um, th- there's a lot of... Got a lot of guys praying for me. Um, a lot of people praying for us as musicians here, and that, that's a that's a big deal when you're talking about um, choosing. See, I, music. I'll give you my backup just a little bit for just philosophy of music. We talk about this as a band sometimes that um, music has that that uh, whatever intangible quality of opening up a heart to a message. I I, I term it the you know the crowbar. Music is like a crowbar. It will open up your heart to a message, whether that's you know. Uh, McDonald's jingle or the Word of God, you know, the, the, the music will open up your heart to something. So it's not something to be taken lightly um, because of that. Um, so um, Pastor and I talk about what he's preaching on. I, I, like to, I like to kind of find out where he's going at, with his message and, and uh, figure out how he's starting and how he's ending and what are some of the, the main points I can think about. Um, uh, a lot of times there, in, in choosing, especially new songs right now, because when I came to Sailorville, there was a lot of songs that were already kind of in the repertoire, and, and I learned it because you guys knew them. And, but, but choosing new songs now, a lot of times it starts with um, songs that speak to me, songs that uh, speak to folks in the band, the other musicians, they bring songs, and even some, you know, just from the congregation, hey, have you heard this song, you know? Uh, Jens did that, I don't know if Jens is here tonight. Jens did that the other day with a song we did for Good Friday, and it was just a powerful song about the cross. Um, but those, those songs speak to me. But I think the, the main things that, um, that I think about as far as are we going to use this music in, in Sailorville Church, uh, the first thing it's got to be is, is it true? You know, Philippians chapter 4 uh, talks about that, you know, what, whatever is true, whatever is, you know, think on these things. Um, whatever gets stuck in your heart, that message that gets stuck in your heart because the music has pried it open is going to stay there. I mean, I, I, uh, the, at the, the counseling um, conference just now, Brad Bigney was up here and he was 
showing a couple advertisements from back in the 80s, and I was like, boom, I knew those jingles right now, and I hadn't heard them since I was eight years old, you know. They are there. And so it's, it's very, very important that we, we have something that's true. We don't want to, and, and there's a lot of stuff, and you, you could probably name some songs. There's a lot of stuff out there in, you know, quote-unquote Christian music, both modern and in, in the hymn book, that is, is uh, quite frankly, bad theology. And so we have to be really discerning about that and just go through those, those words and saying, is this something I want stuck in someone's heart? And is this something I want them rehearsing in their heart all week long? That's a really big deal, and, um, and you should know that we take that very seriously. It's not, there's a reason why we don't do a lot of like top 40 Christian songs that you hear on the radio. We do some because there's some that are good, but a lot of them are, quite frankly, just kind of shallow. They're kind of, they're kind of fluffy. And so, um, is it true? Um, and I say, the second thing, I, this is kind of a way of putting it, but is it full of good calories? <laughs> And what I mean by that is, is it, is it nutritious, you know? There can be something that's true, but it's not necessarily very meaty. Does that make sense? There's not a whole lot of, of good nutrition to it, you know? You can eat, the, you can eat the, the bowl of asparagus or you can eat the Cheeto, you know what I mean? You'll get, you'll get a little bit of uh, calories from those things, but one's definitely better than the other. So um, we have to think about that. We, you know, First uh, Peter 2 talks about milk and solid food, you know, those things. We need to be being uh, nourished from those things. Um, Pastor alluded to this one already, but does it engage your mind? It's one of those things we have to be worshiping with our mind. And uh, that's one of the, you know, big criticisms of like the, the Bethel music and a lot of the, the uh, Pentecostal, you know, apostolic type of things. They're, they're very kind of let go and just be emotional and a blubbering mess the whole time, <laughs> you know. Um, and don't get me wrong. We should worship with our emotions as well yeah. when we sing. And it, I think we're meant to uh, worship with every part of ourselves. Um, but to just focus on just the emotional side and just turn off your mind is not what God calls us to do. Yeah, I mean, simple truth yeah. is better than no truth at all. Yes. And, uh, and if simple truth uh, uh, ex- you know, lifts your heart and your mind up to God, that's a good thing. I mean, somebody asked the question, what about listening to Switchfoot, Skillet? And, well, those are old. By the way, who, who, who sent that in? Some 50-some-year-old? Uh, uh, all genres. I mean, uh, the answer, I think, is yes. Of course, if the music is, if, if, if the lyrics are good, that's, you know, I mean, uh, Doug, I can't remember. What's the rapper Doug likes? Oh, Lecrae. Lecrae. Okay. How many of you like Lecrae? Raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. How many of you, how many of you like to have Paul start doing rap up here? <laughs> Doug. I have Doug do it. Doug. I don't, I, I, do I just don't think, it's not going to happen, okay? It's just not going to happen. Um, but the truth of the matter is, and Paul has said this, so you've alluded to me, I'll allude to you. I mean, he, you were right, and, and some of you remember several years ago, I actually put the lyrics up of a Lecrae song on anger, and it was just spot on. The theology was accurate, the, the, uh, the intensity was there. In fact, I remember uh, uh, listening to an interview uh, of Bono, you know, great theologian, um, but, um, but he would claim to be a Christian, and I'm not going to judge the man's soul, I'll tell you that right now, uh, but he's actually a very close friend of Eugene Peterson's, did you know that? And, uh, and I, in this interview, I heard Bono saying he despises Christian music. Now, he didn't use the word despise. He said he doesn't like it. Not the kind of, he's talking about the contemporary music that you just alluded to. He said it is just so devoid of biblical uh, truth and the kind of stuff. When you hear the psalmist crying out with all of his heart and, and, and just laying it all out there with just completely unvarnished stuff. When you read it in the Bible, it's completely unvarnished. And then you get this nice sanitized version uh, in, uh, in, the, in the Christian genre. He just he can't even listen to it. And uh, I, I think he's on to something there. And uh, so, the, I mean, to answer the question, yes. And uh, I, again, like the, the rap genre in the Christian, like Lecrae, that's very powerful stuff. And maybe even better than most of the other Christian stuff that we're listening to regularly. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's, uh, th- I've made the comment before that a lot of the stuff that's coming out in the, the hip-hop world, as far as theologically, it's some of the best theological stuff that's coming out right now. 
And I think one of the reasons for that is not only are they just diving into scripture, and, but, but the art form itself it offers a lot more room to give a lot more lyrics and a lot more depth as opposed to a verse and a chorus and a verse. You know, they can get a whole lot of, of lyrics in there pretty quickly. So, so someone um, just sends in a text along that line, Paul, with the question, yeah. different music styles reaching different generations. Is our current Sunday morning, yeah, I know you have an answer for this because we talked about this a few months ago. So is our current Sunday morning style reaching the generation we're targeting? Oh, well. <laughs> the, the, the folks that are in our, I mean, I'm 38 years old. You know, we have a lot of folks that are kind of generally um, in my, my age area, I would say, uh, by and large at Sayreville Church. So um, a lot of the stuff that maybe I'm into might be a little closer to them. But I've had to, I've had to we've talked about this, I've had to push myself to, to, uh, to go younger, so to speak. That really sounds, I don't know, that makes me feel old, I guess. But um, I've, had to, I've had to really push myself to kind of, as far as stylistically, say that I'm not super comfortable playing this, but I'll learn it and I'll play it because I, wanna, I want to um, spread the table. Is, another, is, is a way we've talked about this before, and this was a, a Paul Balash thing, if you know his music. Um, but he has said that, you know, spreading the table for the church um, as far as stylistically is... is um, with an attitude of love in the church. If I come into church with an attitude of love, what I wanna say is, I want something there for um, the person who's 65 and 70 years old to, to be able to worship with. Now, we're always gonna kind of bend a little bit more contemporary, just by nature of who we are and how, how we roll, but we, we do do a lot of hymns and things, and, and those things are on the table because myself in love, even if I don't necessarily like a certain style of music, um, I would like to put it on the table if you do. Does that make sense? And if you love me, then you'll like another style of music to be on the table for me because uh, we, we want each other to be, uh, to be worshipers and we want to, um, to help each other along in that area. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question fully, but I, I want to spread the table for everyone. And by the way, <laughs> the younger generation is going back to the hymns. And uh, we, uh, so... Uh, and I said this years ago, that I've never been opposed to the hymns. I've, I've loved the hymns, but I also love the way that, we, that you know, we've contemporized them and whatnot. And I think you've done an outstanding job in so doing. And, uh, but we've been to several conferences over the last few years, and there's a, there's a track back to great, the great hymns of the faith. And uh, in some cases, sung just exactly the way you sung them when you were little boys and little girls, you know. In other cases, a little more like we just sang a mighty fortress, you know. So, uh, but I, that's a welcome thing. And the reason is, and the reason isn't just because, well, that's the way God meant them to be sung. No, but there's just a lot of great truth in those hymns, right? Uh, not all of them, because there's a lot of hymns that are just. Uh, but there's also a lot of uh, hymns that are just wonderful. And uh, so we've circled back to some of those. And so that's a refreshing thing to me. I, I, I enjoy that. Plus, I'm getting older. So there you go. <laughs> so. Uh, let's see. Um, is special music ever a part of the service? Somebody asked. And if not, why? Um, I guess that's probably one I should answer. Go yeah, okay. Um, same answer, probably. Yeah, you know, um, when I think about special music, um, uh, it's a kind of a tradition that uh, in a lot of churches, such as our own, you get, you know, you get your, your wonderful soprano up here, or your great tenor voice, and they knock it out of the park, you know. And, uh, and then it, that, to me, that is, that is what defines performance. And what happens is, it hit me years ago that when one person is up singing, they may be doing great and all to the glory of God, but there's a ton of pressure on them to be doing it all to the glory of God. Because if they're not, they're easily seen. Or you, can tell, you can tell a phony, can't you, that's just up there trying to impress you. But you put two people up there singing a duet. And kind of the same, but there's two people. I can't just focus on one. You put up a quartet. You put up a, a group. And suddenly you're not thinking of just one individual singing. And when I look at the Old Testament, you know, because the New Testament doesn't give us a lot of definition when it comes to how you do worship. Did you know that? You read through the whole New Testament, you just don't find a lot of defining points about how church is to do church. We read history of people singing and stuff, but we just don't. There's a ton of it in the Old Testament. And, when I, and that's, so that's really the only example we have. 
And so you go back to the Old Testament, you see masses of people singing. And I think, why? Because nobody's pointing at anybody then. That's why I like Paul up here with a group of people. You know, Paul, you know, has that uh, desire. I mean, just to let you know, I mean, Paul's up here in front of you because I told him to get his hiney off the back wall when he came here, okay? Uh, because he just, wanted to, he just wanted to kind of be out of the way. I said, you're leading us for crying out loud, you know. Get up there and lead us, you know. So he did. And uh, so, um, uh, but he does, but you can tell when you worship being led by Paul. And don't you enjoy being led by Paul in worship? Amen. Um, you can tell that he's not in this for himself. He's not trying to curry love, favor, and adoration from you. And he's the real deal. I thank the Lord for that. And, uh, uh, but I, I think that special music, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong. Okay, so you know, put your heart at ease there. I, I, just, I just don't think it's all that special. <laughs> Let's move on to another one. <laughs> Does secular music have any place in a Christian's life, Paul? Yeah. Okay, let's go on to the next question then. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, yeah, be discerning. Mm. Consume good stuff. There's lots of good secular, secular music out there. So it's okay no. to open up a bag of Cheetos from time to time? From time to time, okay. yeah. <laughs> Uh, what are some good songs to sing to kids, somebody asked. Uh, uh, you know, boy, I could almost have my wife answer that one. Uh, not because she would want you to know how great a voice that she has, but she does like to sing. And uh, she, she uh, does anybody, anybody, you got to go back to the 80s to remember uh, a GT and the, what's, what was it called? GT and the... And the Halo Express. Anybody remember GT and the Halo Express? There's a hand. Honey, not too many people remember GT and the Halo Express. But what was neat about it was all their songs, every one of them, 100% scripture. All scripture. And uh, Marilyn raised her kids. That's all they listened to in the car were GT songs. And they memorized tons and tons of Bible verses that way. That's a cool way of doing it. And so... uh, I think our kids got salty or something like that. <laughs> salty and cold. Yep. <laughs> so uh, what, uh, what would you say to that? Yeah, Paul? that's the same thing I was thinking of is, is uh, songs that are, are scriptural or songs that simply detail the gospel. Um, I think of um, a lot of the band goes up every Sunday and does uh, the Rise Up um, up there. And we, we love those. They call them kids up there. You know, we, we love those kids up there. And, uh, and we sing simple songs, um, songs like, you know, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock. And, and songs like, uh, very simple, catchy songs like, uh, Lord, lift your name on high, which is a, it's a kind of a, a distilled, condensed version of the gospel. You know, he came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt, you know. And so I would say simple, memorable songs that, that uh, simply detail the gospel and or are straight scripture, yeah. And isn't it interesting that it doesn't matter what generation you're in, you're teaching your little ones to sing Jesus Loves Me? Yeah. I have a video on my phone right now of uh, one of our, grand, our grandsons singing Jesus Loves Me with his, uh, with his Nana just the other day. So, yeah, I mean, common sense, good stuff. There's lots of resources out there, of course. Here's a more theological question. Are the services of a local assembly primary... For, primarily, that is, for worshipers or for the unregenerate? Again, are the, are the services of a local assembly primarily for worshipers or for the unregenerate? I think the simple answer to that is it's for the regenerate, not the unregenerate. Primarily, because the key word is primarily, right? Uh, but even in the text that this individual texted, and good job, by the way, you put 1 Corinthians 14 in that little that little discussion going on there, great job on that. But it's in that passage where, uh, where okay, so right in, very, in fact, right after the verse that you alluded to, whoever you are, it says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, okay, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, by all what? 
all the people worshiping, all the, just the, what's happening in the midst. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So while it's primarily for the regenerate, it is intended to have a direct impact on the un- unregenerate. Now, it might make them run, okay? But it might just draw them in to see this corporate praise and song and attention to the word of God. And just the, that's, why, that's why it's so important on a given Sunday morning that we're not so myopic about ourselves and our family and, and uh, our friends, but to be, you know, looking outward. There are people here moving. Unbelievers are entering in all the time, all the time. And uh, there, there isn't a Sunday morning that we don't have many unbelievers walking through. In fact, some of you are here tonight probably. But uh, that's why we have to be mindful of that because every act of worship, every expression from a handshake to a greeting to a, a, a show of care to the singing, you being right next to them. I mean, if you're sitting there on your phone while there's singing going on, what's the unbeliever going to think? If you don't lift up your voice, I don't care if you don't lift your hands, if you don't lift up your voice, what's the unbeliever going to think? You don't really care. You don't value this God all as, as much as you claim to be. That's why I think we should all be engaged in this. A little preachy here, I realize, but anyway. As a high school athlete, how can I compete in, in a way that is worshipful? Ooh. Paul, you're an athlete. <laughs> Less and less every year. Um, I think it goes back to that, that uh, the verse I read earlier in Colossians. You know, whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord. Um, you, you referenced uh, Little, Liddell, uh, over on Good Friday. Eric Little. Eric Little. Um, and he was running for the glory of God. He said, you know, I, I feel, what, what was I his quote? I feel God's pleasure when I run. I feel God's pleasure when I run. He was made to, he was made to do that, and he was going to use what he was good at to point to the Lord, you know? And it's more, than, uh, it's more than just scoring a touchdown and, you know, pointing up like this or something like that. That's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, but giving your all, you know, I think that there's um, a lot to be said for just, if, if you're a track athlete, run hard, <laughs> you know? If you're a believer, run hard. That's giving, giving your all and, and pointing and giving God the glory when you're, when you're done and, and just all throughout the thing, I think, you know, just do the best that you can. I think that, you know, and I make sure you Tebow and make sure you Tebow. That's really important too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was, I actually went to a, a, a songwriting workshop with a guy that we do a couple of his songs here out in um, uh, Louisville actually. And uh, he was, he was talking about how there are, um, he was talking about good music and bad music and secular music and Christian music and it kind of plays into this, but um, he said that there's a lot of there's a lot of bad music out there, and because it's uh, people think that it's good just because there's a fish stamped on it, mm-hmm. you know that it's a Christian song. You put a fish stamp on it, well, that's good. Well, no, it could be a really bad song. You just put a fish on it and mm-hmm. said it was a Christian song. And his point was that whatever you do, and he, and he has a he does worship records, and he also does a, a, a quote unquote secular band, and he plays with people that are actually unbelievers, um, and is trying to reach them. But his point was that. Whatever you do, it's glorifying to God when you do your very best at it and not just say, I'm a Christian, so I'm doing something Christian and, uh, you know, giving God the glory for it if you just halfway do it. You know, that's not worshipful. And I would add to the athlete, the high school athlete, great question, by the way, and I think that um, you should be yourself the way God created you. If you are an expressive individual like me, you should be an active witness, verbal witness, talking, but you got to have a life that backs it up all the more, right? So, and if you're a quieter person, either way, it should be real in your life. So if the guys are, you know, doing the locker room, you know, vulgarity and stuff, you, you just, you don't have to turn on your heels and walk away in disgust, uh, but you can walk away. You know, you don't have to participate, and, the, and believe me, they'll get it. They'll get it. It might be a little harder on you, but they'll get it, and you'll be appreciated. I, uh, I had a Christian guy that I wrestled with, and uh, everybody liked him. He was the neatest. He was the cool. He was very much like a Tim Tebow, except he did not. Uh, he, 
I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't put the, you know, John 3.16 on his, you know, under his eyes and stuff like that. But he just had a very quiet, sure, confident testimony in the Lord. Didn't participate in the dirty jokes. Wasn't sleeping around with women and stuff like that. And we just all knew it. And after a while, it was like, hey, you don't cuss around Jamie. He, he probably wouldn't like that. And these are unbelievers talking about it. That stuff happens. But God bless you. It's a tough world to live in. Be insulated, you know, not isolated, as Vance Haver said. Moving in the midst of evil, but untouched uh, by it. Um, here's a really good question I want to get to, because we only got about five minutes left here, Paul. If I get to church on Sunday morning and my heart isn't ready to worship, what should I do? Worship. I agree. I mean, in fact, in fact, uh, Eugene Peterson in his book, uh, in his book, uh, I think it's his book, Run with the Horses. He talks about how he talks about extending the hand. Now, this is a Presbyterian guy, and you know, there's not a lot of demonstrative go- stuff going on. But he says, he goes, he goes. Sometimes you don't feel like raising your hand. He was talking about that Psalm that where he says, you know, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And uh, he says. He says, isn't the act of simply raising your hand an act of worship? He says, you might not feel like it, but, and he wasn't even, he wasn't making a big pitch for, you know, for big demonstrative worship. He was just saying that when you don't feel like it, you should still worship because it's not about you. It's, this isn't about you. So you engage anyway, even through the pain. Um, Brad Bigney talked yesterday. He was telling our story my, uh, several years ago when, uh, when, when, when we had a couple of boys that were really hard stage left, and I was, I was counseling a woman in my office who was pouring out her heart. On, you know, but I, and at the same time, my son was facing a juvenile detention, and, and, I, and, I, and the principal was trying to call me. My phone was going. I could see the principal trying to call me, and this lady was pouring out her heart on something that really was, you know, from a comparative perspective, like nothing compared to what I was going through. And yet, what was I going to do? It was like the Spirit of God said, you need to speak truth to this gal. She needs hope. She needs love. She needs to know that she can get through her day. And that's what I did. I, I worked through the pain. I worked through the, the difficulty. That's what we do. That's what worshipers do. They press through to worship. I think that's what you should do. Would you add anything to that, Paul? Yeah, I just, it, the, the Bible, when it comes to worship, doesn't place a whole lot of emphasis on how you feel. Um, it places a whole lot of emphasis on obedience. And, you know, we have something that we say in the band, too. There's been times when, you know, different people that play here at Sailorville have had to come to the stage and they've just had a death in the, in the family or a friend or something like that. And, and um, I've been really impressed with those individuals because they got up here. And one of the things we always say is you got to worship anyway. It's one of the things that that pastor told me. I was, I was early on here, um, I had a, a friend that kind of went sideways and was unrepentant about some things and I was really broken up and it was a Sunday morning and talked to pastor about it just basically was telling him in so many words I don't really feel like worshiping and and there's times and and I think we're all on this we come on Sunday mornings there's times we don't feel like worshiping right Um, but the Bible doesn't place a whole lot of emphasis on feeling it it places emphasis on on obedience Um, he's the Lord he's worthy of worship and we have to like pastor said press through that worship anyway and um I think I think it was Peterson in his book that we're going through. Um, it's it's easier, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's easier to to worship into a feeling than feel into worship. Something something along those lines. I'm probably misquoting. I'm butchering that. But um, the whole point is you got to worship anyway. Um, there's going to be times you don't feel like it. You have to do it anyway. Our time is about up. Uh, but. Uh, uh, I do have a uh, kind of a commercial question slash commercial. I'll let you answer it. Uh, this is in the. This is. I'm sorry, those of you. Several others asked. There's a few others here. We're not going to get to. But uh, Paul, what time do you get here? This would be good, just so everybody knows. What time do you get here on Sunday morning? Uh, what preparations do you take uh, uh, Sunday and throughout uh, first Sunday throughout the week? And do you need more volunteers? <laughs> so there you go. There's your. You can do a little. Okay. Shameless so. plug now. <laughs> shameless plug. When do I get here on Sunday morning? I'm here at 5.15. So is Doug. And a lot of the tech guys, a lot of volunteers that are not paid people get here very early to, to help out and to clean things up that have been going on throughout the week. And, and uh, I'm super thankful for all those guys. Um, 
bad memory, second part of the question. Uh, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> Pre- preparation. Yeah, preparation. okay, what's your preparation? Um, throughout the week, um, it's, it's you know, med- meditating on, on, script- on your scripture that you bring in that week. And, uh, Isn't that and neat to know he's meditating on the very passage I'm going to be preaching on? It's cool. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and it's, you know, it's, I'll add this too. It's really neat that in the times that there's been times when something changed or I didn't know what was going on with what he was bringing. And, and, uh, and this has happened with church services and things like funerals and, and even weddings and things where I'll choose a song and it'll just dovetail. Exactly. And so it's just neat when you, uh, when you commit things to the Lord and you commit them to prayer and how, how God can just take just things that you didn't mean and just you know, dovetail it perfectly with what's going on. But, but there's a lot of, you know, for me throughout the way, a lot of practical things I do. I, I go over the songs over and over. I try to memorize them as best as possible. It's not always, you know, no, pastor told me early on that no one, no one wants to, you know, be led by a lead worshiper who's like this the whole time, you know, and just not looking at anyone. So I try to memorize them, and that's sometimes easier than other times. But um, do you need volunteers? Do I need volunteers? There's, uh, there's areas where there's more volunteers needed than others, but yeah, if you, if, uh, if you, if you play something from the, maybe the spoons or the jug or the washboard or something like that, I don't know. If you play something, uh, um, then let me know. Come talk to me. I, I'm always happy to talk to folks and, and see, see what you have and, and uh, see if it can, it can fit in what we're doing here. So. And thanks. I mean, most of the questions we dealt with tonight came from you. So good job. Thanks for, for sending them in. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll be done. Our Father, we're grateful tonight that uh, we can come together and talk about worship as we desire to give you uh, worth. Uh, that is what you've called us to do. We thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth and help us to do so more. Give us wisdom as we face the future in our own personal lives in worship, in a, in a world that threatens our worship and threatens our, our solace and solitude and uh, just silence and quietness to just come before you and hear from you. Make our church a worshiping church throughout the days of their lives, the moments of their lives, be it here certainly as we lift up our praises in song and in word, and interactions with each other, but also uh, in our day-to-day from the mundane to the exciting things of life and everything in between. Help us to be true uh, worshipers, and uh, we'll give you the praise for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.